This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. As we begin to dive into Christmas this year, we're looking at how uh, Christmas has been such a big story. It's the largest holiday that we have in America by far. But the story of Christmas is remarkably small in Scripture. And so uh, today we're going to look at a few small details that the Bible very carefully includes for us to know about how God begins this story. Because here's something that's just important. This is not in your notes, but I just want you to that where something begins, its origin matters. Now, I'm a, I'm a coffee drinker. I don't know if there's any coffee drinkers in the, in the house today, but coffee's one of those things that you begin to understand that where it comes from helps to flavor the product itself, right? So there's a, there's an, a, a part of that that begins. And the most expensive coffee in all the world, if you want to give me some uh, Christmas presents, this is, I'm just kidding about that. The most expensive coffee is called Kivet coffee. It is, um, the, I think we have a picture of the coffee itself. Right there it is. Uh, Kopi, it's, the original term is Kopi Lua. It's actually produced in, in Asia. Um, these beans have went through a chemical process since they were harvested Right, and, and because of this process that happens naturally, by the time that that is done, those beans are apparently the best coffee that you can drink. Sells in the United States around $600 a pound. All right, that's one of those bags that you pick up a Starbucks coffee, 600 bucks for that. All right, on an average, it's about 35 to $50 per cup of coffee. That's some expensive stuff. You want to know what happens to these beans? Show them the next picture. That is what happens to those beans. The beans are eaten by an Asian kivet. And they're harvested out of their... I ain't going to tell you, but you can just use your imagination. Right? I ain't going to drink that coffee because of where it came from. I don't know about any of y'all... But I ain't going to drink that stuff because of where it came from. But if you're into coffee, you know that certain places produce certain flavors and the origin matters, right? Do you get what I'm saying this morning? The origin of something matters. As a matter of fact, origins are important. This is in your notes. Origins always add a certain flavor to the product. They always have a certain flavor. Maybe a flavor that we don't want to drink. You know what I'm saying? As a matter of fact, the reviews on that say that it is so sweet, it's almost like syrup when you drink it. Quentin, I don't care. I don't care if you don't have to add sugar. I'm not drinking it anyway. They do. Now, let me give you uh, just a, a practical illustration of that. I... I started playing music when I was in college. I am from the South. I am distinctively Southern. All right? My origins are wrapped up in Stanley County and in lower state South Carolina. 
I can't get away from being Southern. So when I play music, it sounds Southern. It doesn't mean that I'm trying to play country or anything like that. It's just the origin, my origin flavors what I do. But here's another tension that's there. And I need to tell you this because there's some of you that when I say that, you're going, but you don't, if you knew where I came from, it's so broken and ugly. Let me, let me tell you something that's very true about that as well. That your past does not have to define your present or limit your future. Okay? The Bible in 1 Corinthians tells us that God has crafted you. And 2 Corinthians tells you that God has remade you as someone that he owns and loves. All right? So, so the origins, when, I, when I'm talking about origin, I'm talking about where something has came from, where it, it was born out of, and when we jump into the tension of the Christmas story, God divinely makes a few things happen that are so profound, so very, very profound that we can easily run by them. So if you would, in your Bibles today, let's turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke 2. We're going to read in verses 1 through 7. Luke 2, 1 through 7. Follow along with me as I read. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quinarius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. So he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married with him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, I want to make a, a few observations out of this passage. The first one is just real simple. is that God sends two small people to a small place for something amazing to start. A few weeks ago, we looked specifically at Mary and Joseph. If you haven't listened to that message, it's online. Pull it up and listen to it. But God uses two small people to begin something, but he doesn't leave them in their hometown. The Bible very clearly tells us that Joseph's hometown was a place called Nazareth. It goes specifically into giving us greater detail to let us know that this is not even just like an Albemarle to Locust translation, that we're dealing with different regions of the country. For us, the, the commonality would be something like a state or something like that. That there's different governing regions that these two towns are in and God uproots a pregnant woman and a man who is not the dad, but betrothed. 
and sends them on a very long journey to a little town called Bethlehem. If you're looking in your notes, this is what I would tell you this morning about this. Jesus originates from small and unlikely towns. Jesus originates from small and unlikely towns. And when we're thinking about, like, where does this whole thing start at? God, in his wisdom, and Luke 2, points us to two very small places. Now, uh, there is contextually in modern day a lot of debate on the, what Bethlehem was like, but, but let's just kind of look at some internal evidence to see if it was a, a bigger or a smaller town. Was there any room for Mary and Joseph in that town? No, there wasn't. When Mary has her baby, where does Scripture tell us that she has to take Jesus to? A manger, to a stable. All right, folks, we're dealing with the small town. And so God, in His wisdom, begins this grand story out of two small towns. Now you might remember, as we started the church, in 1 Samuel 16, 1, the Bible tells us this, that the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Bethlehem appears in the Bible a few centuries before Jesus ever shows up. It appears as God is looking for a new man to rule over Israel and God finds him in David who is the son of Jesse in a little town called Bethlehem. You see, the reason that Joseph and, and Mary get on the road and head for this little small town is because he, Joseph, comes from the family of David. There's a familial connection here going on. Matthew, in the first part of his gospel, records the genealogy of Jesus and points out that there is that familial connection. But here's what I would tell you. And this isn't in a fill-in-the-blank note, but if you could get this and just let this sink in your heart today, it's important. That small towns, small places are good settings for great stories. Small places are good settings for great stories because when God takes the most prolific king ever reigned over Israel, he finds him in Bethlehem. When God sets the story in motion to send his son back to earth to, to redeem humanity, 
he sends his son to Bethlehem. Now, we all come from different places. When we look back in our lives and we start thinking about where, where are my origins? Where did I come from? Where have I originated out of? There are different dynamics in that. Some of us don't want to watch Christmas Vacation because it makes us feel like we're going back to a family reunion a little bit. Because family is one of those places that we originate out of. It is. How many of y'all can identify with this statement? When you were a kid, a teenager, a, a young person, you, you looked at your parents and thought, I love them, but I do not want to be anything like them. And then 25, 30, 40 years later, you, you walk and you look in the mirror and you go, man, I am just like my dad. That ever happened to anybody? That ever, I mean, you can't escape it. It's not just genetics. It's bigger than that. But that's not the only place that we come from. We, we come out of, all of us come out of a generation. And some of our generations are different. And, and there are generational differences between someone like, like me and my parents, and, and even some of the young folks that are here. I'm going to be honest with you. I was talking to somebody the other day, and we were talking about the generational differences that exist. And, and he, he's a little bit older than me. And, and I said, you know, when you were a kid, having a magazine was a big deal. I mean, you were, you were excited when the Life magazine showed up in the mailbox. And today... When something breaks in the world, I find out instantly on my phone. I mean, there is no lag anymore in information. That's, I'm just telling you, kids that are growing up today are going to grow up way different than any of us. My daughter is going to be touchscreen trained before she is potty trained. I can go ahead and tell you. There are generational differences, but there's also cultural differences. If you've ever traveled all over the world, you're going to see that people live differently. Now, the instantaneous reaction in most of us is to ascribe a good or a bad to that. All right? So when I've been in central rural China and you look at families of eight or nine that live in a plywood or metal building that is barely 10 by 10, I can't say it's better or worse, as a matter of fact, some sociological studies indicate that they're a whole lot happier than we are. But there's cultural differences in origin. And there's also spiritual origin that's there. There's, for some of us, there's some stuff that we look back and we go, man, I just, that was pivotal. I can remember right after I chose to follow Jesus being in a very wise and caring man's math class at South Stanley High School. And he knew what had happened in my life and he pulled me to the side and he said, Kevin, you're going to hear a lot in your lifetime about what this means. What it means to follow Christ, what all of this means, go back to the Bible. 
let everything weigh itself against what the Bible tells us. And, and, and that may have been just a passing comment for him, but that was a pivotal moment for me. Because God at that, at that moment began to grow in me a love for the scriptures and an appreciation that I can find him and his plan for my life in this book. So we all come out of that, but here's something that I also want to tell you. That we all, in some dynamic or another, come out of a small place. Now, I don't know what your small place is. I don't know what you would look back and say, that's small to me. That, that's small. And, and to be honest with you, I don't, sometimes when I look at this, it changes and shifts. But I want to walk through those dynamics, some things that, that we've, we've looked at as, as far as being dynamics of where we could originate. And I, I just want to challenge you with some things that today we can walk out of and address and use the small place that's in our life as a platform for God to do something amazing through us. The first thing is let's dive into family. Because some of you guys got some Cousin Eddie's and they're crazy, right? They just show up at your house in an RV and, and I'm, I can't even go into that movie. That, that, that is one of the most funniest things ever. And it's true because some of us live in that, right? You look across and you got some characters in your family. Got some, bless their heart, folks, in your family, right? But here's something that I want to challenge you with is that to to grow out of our origins, out of those small places, we have to be willing to recognize them and then take steps to move beyond them. So here's the first thing. This is in your notes. Let's recognize and be honest about generational sin in our family history. Let's recognize and be honest about generational sin that exists in our family's history. And that's in everybody's family. I don't care if they're the family that's rolling up in a white Escalade in white. Everybody's got white suits on, white gloves. Every, I don't care. Everybody has their baggage that they walk into this with. All right? And the Bible tells us in, in the book of Deuteronomy that God, God honest, says this. It's so one, one of the statements that when you read it, you kind of can blow past it, that I will visit the sins of the father upon their families to the third or the fourth generation. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? It sounds like, God, you're going to punish kids for what their dads did? But a few minutes ago, I asked you if you've looked in the mirror and thought you were just like your father, your mother. And what that means is when most of us raise our hand is that unknowingly, unconsciously, we tend to adopt and become that which we grew out of. And unless we get aware of what's there, it will never have the potential to be addressed in our family. So how about this? Maybe the best Christmas present that you could ever give your kids this year is that you say this has always been a part of my family and it stops now. Maybe. 
You see, in life, things will happen by default or by design. If you don't address it, it'll go right back to that default. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay. The second thing is that you're always in those patterns going to be a t- a, just tempted to address the behavior. Don't address the behavior. Address the underlying problem. I've said this before, that kids don't lie because they're liars. Like when your kid comes up to you and you say, did you eat all the cookies out the cookie jar? And they say, no, I didn't eat all the cookies. And they did eat all the cookies out of the cookie jar. And you know they did. They got crumbs all over their mouth, right? Their hands got icing on them. And you look at them. I, I know you did. The re- they're not lying because they're liars. They're lying because maybe they're afraid of punishment. Maybe they don't trust that you will be just. There's a reason that they're lying. Don't address the lying. Address the reason behind the lying. Pastor, parents, this is just a bit of advice for you. Pastor their hearts, not their behavior. All right? Your place. All right? Your place. Some of you today, when you look at your current situation, you would say, this feels awfully small. I mean, this feels... My, this place, I know God brought me to this place and it feels awfully, awfully small. Maybe there's been times in life when you had more influence, more money, more family, more friends. I don't know what it is. But if you're in that situation, let me encourage you to do this. Live out the gospel in whatever context you find yourself in. Live out the gospel in whatever context you find yourself in. When we find ourselves in a small place, we either do one of two things. We start to rebel against the smallness and try to create some grandness, or we shrink into the smallness. In the greatest story, the greatest, most epic movement in all of history is the gospel itself. So if we can embrace the fact that wherever I am in life, I am empowered by Jesus to live out the gospel, that I can be loving and gracious to people, that I can be giving, that I can care about others, that I can live in context of a relationship with Jesus, that I can live all of that out. You're living in the greatest Christmas present that the world has ever received. And I don't care how small your situation feels right now. When you embrace the gospel in your life, God will make it bigger. Let's move on. For, for some of us, the bigger concern isn't that. It's really our our past. When we look back and we look back through our lives, and I know some of your, your stories, and I've heard you tell them with me and to me, and I've, I've felt the pain and the, the, the shame that was there as you say, shared some of that. 
And some of us, when we look back and we consider our origins, we look back and we say, there's no, there's no way God could ever do anything in my life. He could never use me because you look back at what I've done. And I just want to give you some barometers in, in how to take some steps out of a past. The first one is this. Do not glorify or glorify your past. Do not glorify or glorify your past. There's some of us that just want to live in the good old days. You know what I'm talking about? You know those folks. They caught that fish and you were there and it was like this big. But they tell the story. It's 20 years later and that fish is this big now. Right? They have glorified the past. And this happens in a myriad of different ways when we share. Oh, you know, that was B.C. That was before Christ. But, you know, it was amazing. It was all like, no, don't glorify that. But don't glorify it either. Some people look at their past and it is like watching a horror movie. So I can't even look at that. I don't need, like and when, when they talk about it, it's full of pain and hurt and anguish and angst. No. Don't glorify or glorify your past. Let's learn from our past. Let's learn from our past. Because what God has brought you through is for you or for somebody else. And if we don't allow God to take those experiences and shape us and mold us, then all of that hurt, pain, difficulty was just a waste. So here's some things that I think that this Christmas we could focus on when we say, God, I want you to take me out of my small place and use me. Here's one thing. Let's give grace to those that are in similar situations. Because honestly, that's the opposite of the way most folks in the church do it. Most folks get really mad at people who have the same sin that they have. But when God takes you through something, let him break your heart for people who are going through the same thing. And some of you got, got some histories of dealing with some addictions. Like I, I've never... I've never dealt with that, but you can look on somebody that's in that moment and love them in a way I never could. And as a 13-year-old boy, I laid in a hospital bed half dead. And I can look at people who are going through some very difficult moments and love them in ways some of y'all can't because I've been there. What God brings you through is for you or for somebody else. And let's be the kind of church that doesn't go, man, can't you just get it? Instead, let's go, I remember when I couldn't get it. I remember when I struggled with that. The second thing is, is that you, if we're going to learn from our past, we have to take the next step. 
You see, learning from past implies that there's going to be some action to what's happened. Like, I need to take a step. I've learned something. Now I have to move in that. You see, God's not all about growing your mind. He doesn't necessarily want to embed new knowledge in your head today. What he does want to do is to give you something that will provoke you to move. Because your place might be small right now. But it doesn't have to stay that way. In the first chapter of John, a few guys hear about this guy, Jesus. They hear about what's what's happening with this movement. And when they introduce him, they introduce him as Jesus of Nazareth. And one of the guys replies this way, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I don't know what your place is today. But maybe in the back of your mind, you're saying, can anything good come out of fill in your own blank? You see, the answer is yes, it can. Because whatever your small place, God can take your small place and use it in your life to do something amazing. Let's pray. Jesus, we just want to thank you today that in the midst of brokenness and difficulty, in the midst of of hurt and pain, in the midst of all of that stuff that feels so, so, so difficult, God, that you can take us out of a place that is nasty and broken and pull us up to change us. Some of us in this room today, God, are are broken. Some of us in this current situation today are broken. Some of us today are really, really, really struggling with some issues from our past. And some of us have some things that are going on in our family. And God, I want you to, through your word and through your power, to remind us today that it's not a place that you cannot use us. Whatever that small place is, God, that you are still fully capable, fully, fully capable of using us. So today, I'd just like to ask everybody a question. No looking around, no eyes up, just heads bowed, eyes closed. The first question is just really easy, is that God can't take your small place and use it to do something amazing. God cannot do that unless you've made a decision to follow him. So today, let me just ask you that question. Have you made that decision to follow Jesus? Because God cannot rush in and do something in your life unless you're looking at him going, lead me, 
You do it. I'll follow. So if that's you today and you've never done that, but you want to do it, maybe you've done it before, but you walked away from it. And today, just between you and God, you want to recommit to following him. If that's you, would you raise your hand today? The second question is for all of us. It's for everybody. Don't check out because you think he's talking about somebody else. It's for all of us. How many of you in this room would say, I'm in a small place. I have a small place. There's something about my life that feels awfully small, but I I see now that God can use it and I want to let him. If that's you and you just want to commit to do that today, would you raise your hands? I want to let God use a small place that's in my life. Amen. Let me pray for you guys. Lord Jesus, today as we we are reminded again of the power of your word. The power that you have to take a small place and make it something a lot bigger in our lives, to use it to transform us or to touch someone else's life. God, would you again remind us of what it's going to take? God, remind us of the cost that we might need to pay. But Lord, remind us that it's, it's worth it. It's worth it all. So that we can see you take something that feels so small, so broken, so lost and redeem it and make it found. To make it whole, God. Through your grace and mercy. We pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.